Happy New Year, everybody. Oh, dear. <laughs> did feel a little bit like that this morning, actually, I've got to say. Um, <laughs> I hope you all had a good Christmas. Has anybody joined the gym? Has anybody started a gym membership? Or started a new diet? Or anything like that? Yeah, no? Give it till February. Um, the gyms will be empty, and you'll be eating McDonald's again. It's just how it happens. Um, I don't know about you, I, I really enjoy Christmas time. I love being at home with the kids and just playing games. But I don't know about you, I find that all sense of routine goes out the window. I don't know what day it is most of the time during Christmas, or even what time it is. We just go wherever there's leftover turkey um, to find and to eat. So I, I, I kind of completely get out of routine, which in one sense is, is okay. You know, it's quite nice, actually. It's quite nice to have that relaxation, that downtime. But I do find... Um, that when I get out of routine, spiritually speaking, I can get a bit flabby. Uh, you get flabby in other ways as well. But, but I find spiritually, I don't know if this is the same for you, I suspect it is for many people, when you, when you lose routine, spiritually you can start feeling a little bit flabby. So this is really a bit of a rallying call at the start of a new year, start of 2015 um, for us. And interestingly, I'm going to be speaking on the same uh, passage that Pauline brought this morning, which is in Ephesians 6. I'm going to be focusing mainly on verse 10, Ephesians 6.10, in fact, pretty much exclusively on, on verse 10. But let's have a look at the whole passage just to give it its context here. So I'm going to read from 10 to 18. So it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So as I say, I'm going to focus in on verse 10 there, which is finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now that word finally indicates something to us. It tells us this is coming at the end of this letter to the Ephesians. This letter to the Ephesians as a whole paints a really beautiful, sublime picture of just what God has done for us through Jesus. It talks about the, all the spiritual blessings, you just look at Ephesians 1, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. It talks about who we now are in Christ. This, we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, this one new man who now has access to the Father. It talks about unity. It talks about how to live as children of the light. You know, what, what life should look, what the Christian life should look like. But of course, we know that life doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always match up with what we read. Our lives don't always look like we think they should. Now, why is that? Well, there's a big clue in the language used in that passage that I just read out. It's all language of warfare. It's about being ready for the battle. It's about the fact that we have an enemy. And that's really the first key point I want to make today, that we are in a battle, Christians. We are in a battle. 
And we must never forget about it. We must never be complacent about it. Well, what is the nature of this battle? Well, actually, we battle on three fronts. I just held up four fingers. We battle on three fronts. So we battle... <laughs> we battle against this world, first and foremost, actually. We battle against the world. This, this is a world that tells us what we have to believe, what we should think. There are certain opinions you are not allowed to have and certain opinions you should have to, to fit in, to be acceptable. So, for example, it's a world that tells us that biblical ideas of sexual morality are ridiculous and offensive, even though they're given to us by the one who invented sex and knows how it should be used and knows the harm that is caused when it is misused. But if you hold to a biblical view on that, on sexual morality, well, you're out of date. You're, you're repressed. You're behind the times. You've got to get with the times because, of course, we're so much more enlightened now. It's a world that says your value is determined by your achievements. That's what makes you valuable. Or your status, or being a celebrity, or by your possessions. The more, the more expensive, the better. By, by what you look like. That's, that's the sort of things that, that determine your value in this world. And it's a horrible trap. It's an evil trap that we all get caught in to some extent. That you have to be a certain way, you have to think a certain way, have certain opinions, look a certain way, you have to dress in a certain way in order to fit in, in order to be acceptable. And it's, it's, it's evil, it's evil, because what the world values ultimately is completely opposed to what God values. And we do live in a world that is full of injustice and it's full of corrupted values that have become the norm. Corrupted values, corrupted ways of thinking that have become normal and accepted and acceptable ways of thinking. And so as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, as followers of Christ, well, we're at odds with that. Well, we should be. And so we battle against this world and the system of this world. But of course, we're also at battle with ourselves. It's what the Bible calls the flesh, our old sinful nature, those, those sinful desires that that, that continue to tempt, you know, continue to come in temptation, laziness, lustfulness, selfishness, pride, greed, all the rest, all of those things, old, old patterns of thinking. And we have to fight against those things. We have to battle temptation. You know, so we have a battle against the world. We have a battle against the flesh. But, of course, we also, we're in a battle because we do have an enemy, Satan, the devil. And, you know, this is not a little cartoon figure with red horns and a pitchfork that tries to get you to do naughty things, you know, like eat a bit more cake. Or it, it, no, this is a very real enemy who wants to knock you down. He wants you to be despondent. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants you to be worried and anxious. He wants you to pursue selfish desires. He wants you to pursue worldly desires. He, he wants you to doubt your salvation. He wants you to doubt if God even exists. He certainly wants you to doubt that that if God did exist, that he could ever possibly love somebody like you. He wants you to rely on your own strength. He wants to lead you into temptation. And he will do everything he can to achieve all of that because he hates God. And because you love God and you belong to God, he hates you too. And he does not want you to live in the joy of your salvation. He doesn't want you living with that sense of assurance that we're all meant to live with as Christians, assurance of your salvation he doesn't want you living in the power of God's Spirit. And so we have that battle. The Bible describes our enemy like a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. 
that's prowling around looking for someone to devour. You know, make no mistake about it. If you're a Christian, you're in a battle. Whether you like it or not, and whether you, whether you know it or not, you're in a battle. The day you were born again, you went into that battle. That's why Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong. Be strong for this battle. And this is a, a significant phrase, biblically speaking. Be strong. Moses says it to Joshua. You know, be strong, be courageous. Uh, David says it to Solomon. Paul says it to Timothy. It's like this word to the upcoming generation from a previous generation that's been through all the battles but knows there are more battles that lie ahead. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. You need to be strong to face the battle that you're in, whether you like it or not. You need to be strong for this battle. Because it's interesting, because Paul says this, and this is why I'm really focusing on this verse today. Paul says this even before talking about the weaponry and the armor that you need for this battle. He says, be strong. It's almost like an attitude that we need to have, a position that we need to have, even before getting into the thick of the battle. Problem is that here in the West, particularly here in the West, with our relatively comfortable lifestyles, we can spend most of our lives completely unaware that there is a battle. We can, we can just forget that we're in a battle. It's a bit like the phony war. I don't know if you know what the phony war is. Start of World War II, when war had been declared. But then for several months, nothing really happened. And it was called the phony war, because people said, well, are we really at war? What, this doesn't seem to make any difference to our lives. And so people got lulled into a, a false sense of security. They got lulled into having a peacetime mentality in a time of war. Now, in some countries where where Christians are persecuted, I mean, you know, really persecuted, like you get arrested, tortured, even killed for being a Christian, and we see that in the news. Well, they're very aware of the battle because it's right in their faces all the time. But I think we often adopt a peacetime mentality rather than a wartime mentality. Now, what do I mean by that? What does that, what does that look like? Well, here are a few things that might indicate if you have a peacetime mentality. With a peacetime mentality, prayer is like a domestic intercom for communicating things that you want, rather than a battlefront walkie-talkie to communicate what is absolutely needed right now. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Paul talks in this passage, I just read at the end of that passage, I read about prayer as an essential weapon in this battle. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. How's your prayer life? Do you see it as a weapon in the battle? With a peacetime mentality, reading the Bible is something we should do rather than being a vital source of food and nourishment and strength. In battle, you take all the nourishment and food and, er, that you can get wherever, whenever, however you can get it. So how's your Bible reading? Do you see it as nourishment or do you see it as trying to keep yourself in God's good books? With a peacetime mentality, Christians only meet together to pray in official church meetings rather than at any opportunity in each other's homes. Because if all you do with your Christian friends is a bit of social banter, well, are you really any different from anybody else? If prayer is an essential weapon in the battle, let's do it together whenever we can. Let's pray. It doesn't have to be formal. With a peacetime mentality, you give out of what's left over after you've met all your needs. In war, resources are tight, and you give first to the mission, and then you scrabble around for food. So how is your giving? What's your attitude to giving? And I'm not suggesting that you scrabble around for food, but 
is the mission a priority in your giving, or does God get your leftovers? With a peacetime mentality, you get more than mildly irritated when your football team loses. Or insert equivalent thing there. And we do need to train ourselves to not be so bothered by these things because there actually are things that are more important. There really are things more important, like, for example, all the people just in this town, in these streets around us, walking in darkness and heading for hell. Because that breaks God's heart, and it, it really should break our hearts too. With a peacetime mentality, you plan your day or your week around the TV and spend disproportionate amounts of time on the internet, Facebook, whatever it is, Candy Crush, whatever it is, you don't do that in wartime. Priorities shift, and there really are. You find there are really thing, more important things for you to give your time to. Now, that's not meant to be a condemning list in any way, because believe me, all of those points are first and foremost addressed to me. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, because I can do all of that. But here's the thing. If we have a peacetime mentality, if you have a peacetime mentality, the devil's not going to bother too much with you, because he's already got you where he wants you. Lethargic and ineffective. He's not worried about you taking territory for God. He's not worried about anyone turning to God because of what they see in your life. We're in a battle. And so we must have a wartime mentality, not a peacetime mentality. We're in a battle. We must see ourselves as soldiers. You know, obviously not in a literal jihadist kind of way. Please, I'm not suggesting anything like that. But we are to see ourselves as soldiers. Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus as soldiers. This language he's using, he's writing to them and he's writing to us as soldiers. And he's saying, be strong, soldiers, be strong. And as soldiers, don't be surprised at warfare. You know, if you're in the army, I guess you shouldn't really be surprised if a war starts and you're called up to go to that war. As soldiers, we shouldn't be surprised by warfare. We shouldn't be surprised as Christians by trials and by difficulties, they will come. They will come. Don't be surprised by them. It's a bit like getting into the boxing ring with the heavyweight champion of the world and saying, whoa, hang on, you, you just hit me. Well, of course he did. He's, he's hostile to you. He's against you. You're in a battle. Of course, people will sometimes mistreat you or or, or be nasty to you, be mean to you, reject you, lie about you, spread rumors about you. Of course, you will face trials and difficulties in life. And that's, please hear me, that's not to minimize any trials and difficulties you may be going through. It's not to minimize them at all. I'm not saying they're not hard. But don't be surprised by them. Don't be surprised if you're tempted by repeated sin, that thing that just keeps coming up again and again and again, and sometimes you fall for it. You fall for that temptation. Don't be surprised that that temptation keeps coming to you. Don't be surprised by those days when you just wake up and you feel low, you feel down, you feel depressed, and you don't really know why. Or days when you battle against condemnation. Don't be surprised by this stuff. You have an enemy working against you. Now, equally, let's not get super spiritual about this. You know, you don't go looking for the devil behind every, every corner. Not every situation that we face in life is a spiritual attack. But we do have an enemy. We've got to acknowledge that. We do have an enemy, and it's part of the battle. And Jesus promised you will face persecution. You will face suffering if you follow him. So not every situation is a spiritual attack, but actually what the enemy can get in is your response to every situation. 
when disaster strikes, how do you respond? Do you respond with despondency and defeat and doubt? Or do you respond in the strength of the Lord? In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were in trouble with the Jewish authorities. Uh, They had been healing people and doing terrible things like healing people and, you know, talking about Jesus and, you know, awful things. But they had been, the authorities had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak about Jesus again. But it says in Acts 5, the apostles left them rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for Jesus. They, they rejoiced in that suffering and persecution. That particular suffering and persecution caused them to rejoice because it was for Jesus. They didn't rejoice in suffering per se for the sake of suffering. It was because it was for Jesus. It meant that they were doing something right. Because these things were happening that Jesus said would happen. Now, it's an interesting question to ask ourselves. If you never, ever face any persecution, any sort of difficulty in your life, any sort of rejection, maybe, because of following Jesus, because of being a Christian, well, why is that? Because if you are following him, if you're following him in your life, Jesus promises that persecution will come. We don't go looking for it. That just, that's just silly. You don't go looking for persecution to prove that you're a Christian but it will come. It will come. Don't be surprised by it. And don't be frightened of it. Don't be frightened of the battle. Fear. Don't let fear dominate your life. Don't let fear define you and overcome you. You know, it was fear that kept Israel from the promised land. That first time they approached the borders with Moses, they knew they had God on their side. They had seen God do the most amazing things, the most amazing miracles. They could be in no doubt that God is on our side here, but fear held them back. It kept them back. We can so easily get gripped by fear and despondency and, and we throw in the towel and we feel like God has, God's abandoned me. He's left me. I've, I've, you know, I've lost God. We get negative about things. I, just, I really just don't think I've got what it takes to live this Christian life. Well, yeah, you're probably right in your own strength. But I, don't, oh, I just don't think I've got what it takes. You know, it's a great weapon of the devil, inadequacy. Inadequacy. It's a great weapon that our enemy uses. Oh, I can't do it. Despondency, fear of failure. Listen, church leaders face this all the time. Please pray for us. Fear of failure, despondency, inadequacy, all those things. They're there all the time. But soldiers are not to entertain thoughts of defeat. You can't, if you're a soldier, you can't think you're going to be defeated. It's like in those movies like Braveheart or Lord of the Rings where they're about to storm Mordor, you know, and there's this stirring speech and rallying cry on the front lines because you can't have these soldiers going into battle thinking they're going to be defeated. No, they need to go in knowing in the knowledge that they can and they will overcome the enemy. They've got to have that confidence. Be strong. Be strong is Paul's rallying cry. Be strong be strong for this battle well what's he saying is he just is he just saying pull yourself together you know man up think positive thoughts get through it you'll get through it is he telling us to make ourselves strong no he's not telling us that at all and that's the second key point he's telling us to be strong actually you could translate it be strengthened tell us to be strengthened in the lord and in his mighty power so we're in a battle we must never forget it And we are to be strong in the Lord. You can't make yourself strong. If there's there's one thing I've learnt and that I need to keep on relearning repeatedly, and I'm sure I will have to keep on relearning repeatedly in the future as well, 
is that when I try to be strong, purely in my own strength, it's not good. It doesn't work out well. It's not good for me, and it's not good for those around me. It's not good for my family. Because it leads to frustration, it leads to depression, it leads to spikiness, bad-temperedness, all those things, because I'm trying to be in control of everything and failing, because I can't control everything. I wonder how many of you, um, and I guess particularly for the husbands and dads here, I wonder how many of you know that your families at times suffer because of your need to be in control and to be strong to be the strong one in your own strength. You can't make yourself strong. God makes you strong. He strengthens you. And so we really need to know him. We need to know who he is, and we need to know who we are in him, our identity in Christ. Well, how do we do that? How do we, come, how do we know God? How can we know God? Well, Psalm 46 says a very familiar line from the psalm, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. How many opportunities do we give ourselves to be still? Really, I mean genuinely still and silent. Because we make ourselves so busy. You know, what's the mo- I, I, I guess probably the most common answer, if you ask somebody, oh, how are things, how are you doing? Oh, I'm really busy at the moment. I, guess, I know it's my knee-jerk. Which, oh, yeah, it's been really busy. Probably because I can't think of anything else to say, but I'm not very good at small talk. But um, we make ourselves busy. We surround ourselves with noise. I mean, you know, how many people sit on the sofa with a laptop on their knee and the TV on in the background, earphones plugged in? We, we, we surround ourselves with noise all the time. And sometimes God just says, stop, stop, be still, because I want to speak to you. I've got things I want to say to you. Be still and know that I am God. Know who I am. And not just know in your head, but let God plant things deep in your heart. Let him plant that knowledge of him deep in your heart so you can really know that the creator of the universe, the almighty, sovereign, all-powerful God, he is really on your side. You're on the winning team. Now, that makes the battle a lot easier. If you know that you go in and you're on the winning team already, that makes it a lot easier. That you know, I can call upon the name of Jesus because he's already victorious and he will be victorious. That makes the battle an awful lot easier. You're on the winning team, but you need to take time to stop and know it and know that he is committed to you and that will never, ever change and that he loves you with a burning passion, that he takes great delight in you, that he he sees you like a precious jewel. You are a precious jewel in his sight. You need to know this. You need to take time to know that he is enough for you, even with all the things the world offers to try and fill you up. He is enough. And actually, he's the only thing. He's the only one who is enough. For you, be still and know that I am God. Do you run away from silence or do you embrace silence and allow God to speak? Because when God speaks, then we are strengthened. When we spend time in his presence, then we are strengthened. You see, if you're a Christian, you you already have, you have union with Christ. You are in union with Christ. His righteousness is on you forever. It's a done deal, can't be, can't be broken. You stand justified before God because of that union that you have with Christ. But we also need to have communion with Christ, communion with Jesus. We have been saved, yes, but we're also being saved on an ongoing basis. We need to be saved daily in one sense. And so we need to keep drawing near to him and know him. Know him, know that he is God, know that he is sovereign, know the truth. Because the Bible tells us if you know the truth, truth sets you free. And it's in coming to Christ and enjoying that communion with him 
that you really come to know him. You come to know God, and you come to know about God. You come to know things about God. You come to know that it's really true that God does work all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. You come to know that it's not just a phrase, it's actually true. He actually does do that, even the most terrible situations. The enemy will seek to use situations for evil. He will seek to use bad situations in your life to bring evil, to bring despondency and doubt. But God will use them for good. You can look at the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. You know, he faced one terrible situation after another, and we can look at his story from a distance and see, well, we can see there was a purpose behind it. God, you know, he, he needed to get him in this place at that time. We can see that from a distance. But the remarkable thing about that story is that Joseph himself seemed to trust God through it all. I'm sure there were many moments of despair for Joseph. But ultimately, we see his response is that he trusted God. Why? Well, because he knew him. He knew his God. We can read about Paul and this thorn in the flesh that he talks about, this mysterious thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what it is, but we know he wants God to take it away. Three times he cries out to God to, to take this thing away. Now, God, does God do that? No, he doesn't. But Paul hears him speak. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And it's enough for Paul. That's enough for Paul. He hears God speak, and he sees from God's perspective because he knows him. He knows his God. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul, Paul writes that he's found the secret of being content in every situation, in every circumstance. How? Through him who gives me strength. Through him, through Jesus one who gives him strength. Now, we know Paul faced some pretty horrendous situations, but he knew God, and he knew God's strength, and he saw from God's perspective. So this is not about pulling yourself together and stoically facing up to all the challenges that life throws at you, gritting your teeth and just persevering through it. No, this is about God saying, look, I love you. I, I love you. I called you. I chose you, and I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you, so come to me. Come, come and know me and know the truth about me. So we need to know who he is. We need to know God. We also need to know who we are in him, who we are in Christ, your identity in Christ. A great starting point for that, as I've already said. Just read the first half of Ephesians. That's wonderful. It tells you who you are in Christ. It's just amazing. You need to know who you are in Christ. In Isaiah 52, God is speaking to Israel, and he says to them, Awake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. And it's like God is telling Israel to recognize who they are. You are the people of God. Awake. Rise up. Know who you are. Paul here if you flip back to the beginning of, the, of Ephesians, you see who he's writing to. He's writing to the saints in Ephesus. He says, to the saints in Ephesus. He's writing to the Christians there. He's writing to you as followers of Christ, as saints. You were once walking in darkness, and actually the Bible says you were darkness, but now you walk in the light, and you are light. You've been brought near to God. That is your identity. You've been brought near to him. So many Christians still see themselves as just hopeless, miserable sinners. And yes, sometimes we sin. Sometimes we fall to temptation. Yes, we do. But that's no longer your identity. 
That's not who you are called. That's not what God calls you. It's not how he sees you. He sees you as a saint. If you're born again, the Bible says you are a new creation if you're born again. God sees you as a saint, not a sinner. He sees the righteousness of Christ on you. He sees the strength of Christ on you. Recognize who you are. You are the people of God. Awake. Rise up. You were darkness, but now you are light. We must be aware of who we are. In him, the miracle that has happened in us, even if we don't feel like it, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to be aware of who we are in him. We need to be aware of who he is, just who it is, who is on our side. So we're in a battle. Never forget it. We are in a battle. We are to be strong in the Lord, know who he is, know who you are in him. And the last thing I want to say is, how do you get hold of this? How do you actually... How do you actually get strengthened? Because it's not something you do. God does it. How, how do you get hold of it? How do you get strengthened? Well, consider some of the occasions when Jesus healed people. Okay, he told the crippled man to get up and walk. And he told the man with the withered arm to stretch his arm out. Now, they could have said to him, they could have said to Jesus, well, I can't. That's just the problem. That's, that's, I'm unable to stand. I'm a cripple. Why are you telling me to stand up? Or my problem is that I've got a withered arm, so why on earth are you telling me to stretch this thing out? You know, that's just the point. I can't. And it almost seems cruel of Jesus to say something like that, like he's mocking them, unless, unless there is power in what Jesus says. There's power in the fact it's Jesus who is saying it. Because the cripple did stand, and in doing so, he was healed. And the man with the withered arm did stretch it out. And in doing so, he was healed. It's kind of like they stepped into the healing in faith. Now, this is not a comment on healing in general. Please hear that. This is making a wider point. But they stepped into healing in faith. They had to do something. They had to respond to Jesus. They, They believed that when Jesus said, stand, stretch out your arm, that there was power in his words, and they took a step of faith. When Jesus healed the ten lepers, he told them to go and show themselves to the priests. And it tells us that as they went, they were healed. They weren't healed first and then they went off. No, it was as they went, they were healed. Be strong in the Lord. Stand, stretch out your arm. Walk into it. Step into this strength. Do you believe that Jesus can strengthen you? Because he wouldn't say it if he wasn't going to do it. And when he says, be strong, when Jesus says to you, be strong, he means it. There is power in that. And we can need to walk in that strength. I heard someone say recently that God is drawn to movement. God is drawn to movement. I I think we can very easily fall into the trap of praying for and waiting for a move of God. We can stay inside these walls and very earnestly pray and wait for a move of God. Lord, send revival, all that sort of thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for those things. But actually God has already moved Why are we asking for for a move of God when he's already moved? What does heaven have to send us that is better than Jesus? He's already given us everything. It says in 2 Peter 1 that he's already equipped us with everything we need for life and godliness. Maybe it's not a move of God that we need, but that God is looking for a move of people. People who are responding to his call. People who are willing. People who who will say, Lord, here I am. Your servant is listening. You know, movement, movement is is written into, it's ingrained in the history of this church. You know, 45 years ago, a small group of people moved from Hayes 
to Hazelmere. And that's the start of this church. Now, I get the impression, speaking to them, they didn't really know what they were doing. Is that right, Frank? They didn't really know what they were doing, particularly. Why Hazelmere? It, it wasn't a great booming voice from heaven saying, you will move to Hazelmere. No, I was speaking to Di about this this morning. She said it's because the houses were cheap. <laughs> but they found out later that there had been a group praying for Christians to come to that estate. This was in the purpose of God. It was in the plans of God. But they didn't know that at the time. They took a step of faith. It was a massive step of faith. And boy, did God bless it. Because they grew and grew and grew. 20 years ago. Huge step of faith. We built this building. We moved into the center of town and built this building. It was a step of faith. It wasn't a case of waiting until all the money was there and available. No, no, no. 30 families in the church put their homes on the line for this place. Against the bank loan, guarantee against the bank loan. This was a step of faith, a huge step of faith. You know, we could have stayed as we were because it was nice. It was comfortable. We knew each other. You know, we were used to it. It was familiar being in that school hall. It was just, that's how we did church. Could have stayed there. Actually, we couldn't have stayed because that wasn't God's intention for us. He had other ideas. He had bigger plans. He brought us here. And boy, has he blessed that move. Boy, has he blessed that step of faith. You know, movement is written into the history of this church. But you know what? It's also written into the present of this church. It's written into the future of this church as well. Because God doesn't... I don't believe God has finished with us. You know what? This is not it. This is not everything that God has for King's Church High Wycombe. I don't believe that God ever meant for the the boundaries of this building to be the boundaries of this church. And so we're moving that's why we're looking. That's why we're on the lookout for a second site to, to, to launch a third meeting. Because we, we've got to move. We feel that's the call of God on us. We've got to take a step of faith, yes. But we trust that God will bless it. We, we need to move. And we need to pray. We need to keep praying about that. Be strong in the Lord. Step into it. Move. Step into that strength. And when Joshua was leading the Israelites across the Jordan, they had to step into the river for it to stop flowing. It didn't stop flowing and then they went across. No, they had to do so. They had to move. They had to take a step of faith. When Peter walked on the water, he said to Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. He believed that there was power in Jesus' words and he took a step of faith. He stepped into it. He, he moved what is Jesus saying to you? Is he asking you to do something? Is there something he's just been poking away at in your life? Are there any steps that he's asking you to take? Because when Jesus says to you, follow me, stop doing that and follow me instead. You know, stop looking at that stuff on the internet. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop getting drunk. You know, when, he, when he convicts you of sin and says, stop it, just stop that, and follow me instead, it's not a case of, yeah, I can't. You don't understand. It's just too hard. I can't, I can't let that go. No, you can. You, actually, you can. You need to take a step and believe that Jesus will strengthen you. And as you take steps to follow him, as you take steps to be obedient to him, whatever that might mean for you, he will strengthen you. But don't just sit around waiting to feel strong enough. It will never happen. Don't just sit around waiting to be strengthened. Move. Move. Take a step. When Joshua was marching with the Israelite army around Jericho, there must have been many moments where he, he, he must have wondered, what are we doing? 
here. You know, march around the city for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, raise a shout, and the walls will fall. Really? He must have wondered at times what they're doing. But in faith, having heard God speak, he did it. He did it, and the walls did fall. The walls fell down. I wonder if there are any walls in your life that need to come down. What walls is God saying that? That's got to come down now. It's been up too long. I remember when some of our young people went treasure hunting at New Day uh, a few years back in, in, in Norwich. Uh, treasure hunting is where you ask God for clues beforehand, you, you know, and it, things like somebody wearing a flat cap or a yellow T-shirt or somebody of this name or they were standing outside a jeweler shop. You put all the clues together, then you go out into town and look for these people that God is leading you to, and you go and speak to them. It takes a lot of courage. And, of course, for our young people particularly, it was very tempting to back out. Once you actually got out there into the town, very tempting to back out and not really believe that God has spoken here. This was just me. I made this up. That wasn't God, even though there is a man in a flat cap and yellow T-shirt standing outside a jeweler's, and his name happens to be Ian. You know, though that's me, that's me, that's not God. But as they did it, as they stepped into it, their faith grew, and they had some amazing conversations. And the more they did it, the more they wanted to do it. They didn't feel strong. They really didn't feel strong, but... God strengthened them as they stepped out in faith. And of course, sometimes we do get it wrong. Sometimes we we get it wrong. We can have setbacks. We can try things, genuinely try things for God that prove to be a monumental failure. Well, what do you do? Do you throw in the towel? Do you think God's abandoned me? He's no longer with me? He's completely left me? No. You get back into faith. You You step back into that strength that he provides. Be strong. It's Paul's word. Be strong. But I don't feel strong. That's irrelevant, actually. How you feel is completely irrelevant. It's a command. Be strong. He's not saying be strong if you feel like it. Why do we need to be strong? Because we're in a battle. For our own lives and for the lives of those who surround us, who we come to contact with, those we know who are walking in darkness and are heading for an eternity in hell. That needs to break our hearts and spur us into action. That needs to break my heart a lot more than it does. Because it breaks God's heart. Be strong. Be strong in yourself? No. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let me close our eyes. Let me come up. I just want us to have a little bit of time to reflect. Let's have a bit of, you know, I said be still and know that I'm God. Let's, let's, well, let's have a few moments of being still. And, and allow God to speak to you. Allow him to speak. You know, do you want to be strengthened? Maybe you've gone through or you're going through a, a really tough patch. Maybe you've been sinned against by somebody. Or maybe there's a sin issue in your life, in your own life. Well, the devil wants you defeated. He wants you despondent. But Jesus calls you to be strong. He calls you to be a soldier. Maybe there's something that you're longing to see happen in your own life, in somebody else's life, and God wants to use you in that, but fear holds you back. Well, let God strengthen you. Maybe there are some walls that need to be broken down, and God wants to use you to do it in someone else's life, or he wants to do it in your life. Let's spend a few moments now in silence and just let God speak.
Now, if, you're, if your heart is saying, you know, as I've been speaking or just in these few moments now, if your heart is kind of saying, yeah, count me in, I really want to be strengthened. I know I need to be strengthened. It might be something particular. It might be something very general. But you know I need to be strengthened. I'm going to invite you when you're ready, if you, if you really mean it, to stand as a, as a personal response to Jesus, as that step of faith, as that movement to step into that strength, to, to stand as a sign of walking to, to God's strength that he has for you. I'm going to invite you to stand, to really just take hold and say to God, yep, yeah, Lord, I need you to strengthen me. So I just ask you to stand now if, if, if that's you. Jesus, we, we, we thank you that you are for us and you're not against us. We thank you. We thank you that there is power in your words. We thank you that we can follow you in complete trust. We can follow you and know that you are on our side. Know that you, you've got our back. Know that you strengthen us. Lord, forgive us for when we try to be strong in our own strength. Forgive us for when we try to be in control of everything. That's your job. And Lord, we gladly and willingly give it to you. I pray for anyone here who is facing particular situations. Actually, they stood for a very particular reason, for a particular issue they're facing in their life, for a particular thing in somebody else's life. Lord, that you would speak straight into that situation and you would bring your strength. I pray that as we leave here today, we would, we would be different We would feel different. We would know something has changed because we are walking in the strength that you provide, the strength that you give us. So, Lord, I just ask a very general prayer for all of us. Strengthen us. Strengthen us in you. Enable us to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Enable us to to be bold witnesses for you. Enable us to make those choices in our lives that's the choice to follow you and not the the choice to go against the world, even when that's really hard. Strengthen us for that, Lord. We want to be followers of Jesus, not followers of what the world says we should be doing. Help us in that battle that we're in, Lord. Strengthen us for the battle. And help us, Lord, to truly follow you. To follow you, Lord. To hear your voice. To follow your call. We love you, Jesus. Amen.